0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife, Janet, and our producer, Lindsay. And we are streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio today. And today we have Ron Barshop on the line with us. We had some technical difficulties getting him streamed in video, so we have him on the phone line and you do not wanna miss this episode. If you or anybody you know is on Medicare or Medicaid, i.e. government programs for healthcare, there is data out there that suspects that they are gonna go broke within four years. Think about that. If you're relying on Medicare and Medicaid to pay your healthcare bills, They might be broke in four years. So Ron is an expert on this subject and many subjects when it comes to financing and pricing in healthcare. And I'm super excited to have him on. You do not want to miss out. Stay till the end of the show so you can find out um, about the solvency of Medicare and Medicaid. Ron, welcome to our show. Hey,
1: thank you, Janet and Sean. I'm glad to be on.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And um, let's start with, before we get to the solvency of Medicare and Medicaid, let's just start with... With with part of the issue, I think one of the the biggest the biggest issue with healthcare and why it's so expensive is because of lack of transparency. And because you're an expert on that subject, I don't need to go anymore. I'm just going to let you go and just talk about about the transparency problem with pricing in healthcare.
1: Well, you can buy a jar of mayonnaise and you know what it's going to cost you. But imagine if you bought that jar, and while you're driving home, somebody says. Oh, by the way, that's a $122 jar of mayonnaise. And then all of your groceries got marked up like that. That's what's going on in healthcare. And it's a little bit of a cabal between the insurance companies who have no incentive to pay the fair price. And the hospitals and the other rest of the system that's not interested in either. And they have a great big lobby. One out of four lobbyists that are walking the halls of your state capital and our nation's capital are ensuring that the game will continue to be played the way it is being played because it's way too profitable. But there is a new movement out there that's changing everything, you guys, and it's amazing because it's called direct contracting. There's about 20 million that work for employers that direct contract with the ecosystem, and they're getting away from these prices dramatically by paying fair price, a little bit of markup. And another and, and so when you hear about telehealth, that's really part of this movement. And telehealth is allowing us now to direct contracts combined with directly reaching the people that you need to reach to get your care. So it's a beautiful thing. And um, it's, it's being accentuated by a transparency um, executive order, a ser- series of them by Donald Trump, uh, our outgoing president. So um Transparency means that you can actually see what you're paying, what they're paying, and uh, what insurance companies are reimbursing them at. And that is all about to get, you know, we're about to blow the lid off and see what's underneath the uh, the black sheet. So uh, no more Wizard of Oz dictating how we're going to live our lives in healthcare, And it's going to make really a big difference. And it's going to start in uh, 2021 and 2022.
0: So, tell us a little bit about that um, executive order from from Donald Trump, uh, the transparency and pricing from hospitals.
1: Yeah, it, it needed some comments by the Internal Revenue Service and other um, regulators, and they've issued their final orders now, and so it looks like it's definitely going to happen. Um, we're talking about no more games, and that's going to start in, as I said, 2021, and the rest of it will start in 2022. So, it's it's big news for consumers who are also voters who are also patients and um, everybody on this listening to this call is going to be affected by having the ability to see what's going on in, in uh, behind the wizard of oz's curtain
0: so what's the i heard that hospitals and their lobbying groups are having pushback about this they're trying to make it so they don't have to be transparent transparent in pricing does that can you elaborate on that
1: well, if you can charge one hundred twenty dollars for a jar mayonnaise, you want to get away with it, yeah. You don't. You don't want the consumer to see what's going on, and and who is the consumer? It's the employer that's paying, and it's the federal government that's paying Medicare, Medicaid. So, best not to see what's going on, so they can charge whatever they want. And it's um, it's patently ridiculous. There's no other vertical in America that has that kind of games, gamesmanship, but there's also no other vertical that has that kind of lobby so the tech lobby has about well if you put the tech lobby big defense if you put big oil and wall street all combined they still don't have the buying power of big healthcare. care what i call the bigs um, so they've done everything in their possible power to keep the game board rigged to keep the dice loaded to keep uh, us from having a fair shot at playing on the healthcare game and that's why I think a lot of anger on the streets has happened, is because I mean some of it was certainly political, but a lot of it was people don't feel like they're allowed in the treehouse of healthcare because it's too expensive and it's too unwieldy. And, you know, if you're only part of the ten percent that can afford healthcare, then you know, maybe you're upset. Everybody has a scary story or a strange story. But um if you're the rest of America, the other ninety percent they're they're sick and tired of this gamesmanship and it's uh, it's. It looks like it's going to be over. I don't know what they're going to do with all those lobbyists once they get their uh, transparency right. sheets removed.
0: I. I hope that's really the truth. I mean, this. It, it's a scam between hospitals and health insurances. Are they're they're in it together and they are ripping off and scamming the American consumer and the American taxpayer since most, most healthcare dollars is spent by um, you know, by the federal government, which is paid for by the taxpayers. So that's something we'll get into later about solvency of that. But um, yeah, the racket's got to stop. It would be illegal in any other industry. It's amazing. It happens.
1: Yeah. And they've got it hardwired. Well, imagine uh, Janet needs to get uh, uh, care and she's got a, buy an insurance policy that has a a prostate exam in it and you have the same thing you want to get care and you've got to have a women's world check built into your bundled pricing it's ridiculous so now we'll be able to take the lid off and see what's underneath and we'll be able to pay item by item with this new direct contracting movement and telehealth is also blowing the doors off because it's uh, 85 percent of all offices don't need to have a doctor involved you can have a does it with a mid-level? Um, and a lot of times, a medical assistant can get the, the the issues handled. So it's really a beautiful thing that's coming at us, and uh, it's going to be hard for any politician to go backwards and you know take care of their lobby that's been paying their way uh, and go back to the old way. But that the old way is about to be the uh, it's about to go away.
0: Good. And I, I, the free market always wins in the end. Janet, do you have any um, questions or comments about this subject to Ron?
2: I, I do. What what kind of movement do you see with providers in this? Because I know consumers have been sharing, but what, what kind of movement are physicians bringing and other providers bringing towards this transparency?
1: Well, there, there's new business models out there that didn't exist even a couple of years ago. So I've had on my show. I have a, a show called Primary Care Cures, and we've had providers on there that have created models that are what they call digital first and direct contracting. And um, the providers have gotten smart. They're they're sick of getting bullied. They're sick of getting having to do pre authorizations. You guys got to do the same thing in your pharmacy, and um, it's it's really um, quite a racket. Uh, and so providers have gotten. Smart, and they're creating companies. There's been billions of dollars invested, and millions of people joining these this movement. It doesn't really have a name yet because it's not at an association. But I can bet you can bet your bottom dollar that the big companies don't want this to happen, and they're doing everything in their power to extend the status quo.
0: So, speaking of those big companies, I think you know in the past one of the things that has happened is that you know, independent physicians, they sell out to big hospitals. Um, in you know, so tell us why that is probably not necessarily a good thing.
1: That's a terrible thing. Um, they've had to, they don't even sell as a generous word because they're, it's like a shotgun wedding. They have to sell. Every pressure that can be made to bear on particularly primary care providers is to join a private equity group or, uh, the insurance companies, but actually the biggest employer of primary care today is, is United Health, which has Care. Is that right? Uh, Kaiser Permanente is another that is acquiring doctors, but only in a few states that they're successful in. They haven't been successful nationwide. Um, but you're, you're forced to sell because you've got every kind of pressure. In Texas, for example, the PCPs cannot bill for telehealth with two insurance companies. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine, like... Mm-hmm the game that they had to play to get that. So in the same time that they said, you can't bill, they're sending their, their customers, if you will, the patients that are members of those doctors clinics, um, messages that you can come join our insurance company and still get paid on telehealth for free. So it's just, it's every kind of game, every kind of manipulation you can imagine. And, um, you know, it's finally, it looks like the playing field might be leveling out. But in the meantime, this, this crisis, the pandemic has forced about 15,000 of the 30,000 remaining independents into the hands of the bigs or into retirement. Fifth, the average age of, I'm sorry, the third of the doctors are over 57 years old, and a lot of them are just sick of it. So there's, there's a large ACO, Campbell Care Organization in San Antonio, that lost about 10% of their doctors because they're just tired. They don't have the uh, wherewithal to keep playing these games.
0: Well, you could actually argue, um, and I don't think it's government conspiracy. I think it's probably just fact that, you know, lockdowns like this um, is a way for governments to control those independent physicians. The more they make them go into a big group, the easier it is for the government to control them. Do you have any comments on that?
1: Yeah, it just breaks my heart to hear you say it because it's so true. But, um, yeah, they are being forced into the big groups um, and then once they're in the big groups they get paid more um, they have less autonomy they have greater burnout we know that the medical errors jump markedly once you go with the big group owned by a big system we know that the um, the the unnecessary tests that are ordered and the unnecessary procedures that are ordered increase markedly so this, this is we, we know that big equals bad Costs, low cost, higher costs, and we know it equals bad health, and we know it equals burnout. So it's like the trifecta of worst-case scenarios is when you're forced, as an independent, to join these big institutions, um, you lose everything, and it's you're now working for the man. And they went into medicine and took on 350000 in debt, took janitor's wages for three to six years, for the privilege of helping us in the direst time of need, and now they're being forced to direct care into the bigs. I mean, did you know that urgent care, 70% of all urgent cares are owned by big institutions hmm. and they're just basically feeder organizations for the hospitals so that they can uh, have high insurance paid customers. So it's it's just, a you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to say nothing about this is a good scenario for the doctors, for the patients, Great for those hospitals. They, they, by the way, they've had record profits the last three quarters because they're reporting their quarterly. We know what the for profits are doing, and the non-profits have to report too. They're doing great. This pandemic has been a golden era if you're a big institution.
0: Yeah, they're definitely loving it. And I was listening to a podcast from the great Dr. Keith Smith from the Surgery Center of Oklahoma the other day. And, you know, he talked about urgent cares and ERs um, for hospitals. You know, hospitals complain all the time about how much money their their emergency rooms lose. Um, but he also finds it interesting that, you know, they'll spend millions and millions of dollars renewing, re, remodeling those urgent those emergency rooms that they lose so much money on. So, um, you know, it must be a way for them to generate lots of money for sure.
1: Yeah. There's, there's, there's two, two revenue sources. One is the 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 ER itself, the urgent care itself. Then there's the referrals that they're naturally going to get by high insurance paid customers. So it's, it's just, um, it's, it's let's just call it evil evil when it is that, you know, it's, we can't, Vince around with words. It's a it's a dark thing, and um, they're they're just really ravaging America. So I, I think you might want to talk about the John Hopkins study. There, Marty Mac- McCary, who was on your show, I believe, or should be. Um, he did a study with John Hopkins, and it turns out forty eight cents of every federal dollar, either directly or indirectly, goes to healthcare, which is co- clearly unsustainable. So if you're if you're a Social Security recipient, certain part of your income comes or of your income that comes from the government is going towards health care. If you're looking at the interest on the debt to satisfy this giant deficit that the this system's creating, the portion of that's paying the interest and on and on. Veterans health, um, you know, military health, defense health, it's all going towards an unsustainable model that this administration is going to have to deal with or, you know, it's going to crash. I mean, there's literally no way around.
0: Well, so, so let, let's, let's – um, we'll get into that in a minute about – so you talked about 48% of our GDP is spent on healthcare, and yes, that does sound unsustainable. I mean 50% of our GDP spent on healthcare alone. So you also mentioned in, in some of your social media that um, half of Social Security recipients do not have money to pay deductibles or premiums. So they're on Social Security and Medicare. Well, yeah, and but they can't afford deductibles or premiums so but they've got Medicare, but so they're insured, right? Or are they?
1: Well, it, it's, it's, you're, you're mixing up a couple of different posts. One of them is about one hundred and eighty million Americans are with self-insured employers, and half of them, according to the Social Security Administration, don't have they make thirteen eighty an hour. they don't have the scratch put together a $500 deductible and the average deductible is much higher than that. So they can't make their co-pays. They can't make their premium. They can't make their deductible. They can't afford the co-insurance if they had all that. So independent, well, so, so the, the self going the pig with lipstick. So what do you do if you are an employee working for that? Well, you can go to this direct contracting model, and skip the insurance company and skip the employer. You can go with telehealth. You don't have to opt into healthcare for the employer. So I believe what we're gonna see is a death spiral of the insurance companies like we've seen in Australia. And I believe in a couple of states, we already have a death spiral, but it's being kind of quietly handled by fixers in these insurance companies. But a death spiral is when all the young and healthy leave because they can't afford the, any of these uh, payments anymore leaving behind sicker, older patients. And it's like onion peel. You peel off the younger and healthier, and eventually all you have left is expensive, sick, older patients. So it's a a pernicious circle. It's uh, The the insurers in Australia are begging for a bailout for a problem they created themselves. And it's going to happen here. Now, the insurance companies here are much better diversified, so maybe it may not happen as quickly, but they're it's definitely going
0: to see it. I agree with you, and you know, I wrote a book on it um, called "Sickened: How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It." And and really, the government caused the whole problem, and that's why the insurance company keeps lobbying the government because they want to keep their monopoly, they want to keep their cartel in place. And one of the fixes, I think, and this is, I, I, in my book, I talk about a six-step solution. And one of the fixes is, is that consumers completely get out of the insurance market, um, and they, yeah. and they shop for cash prices for their health care. And you, you know, there's health sharing um, programs out there now. They used to, uh, most of them used to be faith-based, but there's non-faith-based ones now. Um, I think the health insurance. Thing is such a racket. I don't believe in it at all. It's a rip-off. It's a scam. I never want to go back. Um, Janet and I, we have a health sharing ministry and we love it. It allows us to go to the doctor we want to go to, to seek the services we want to seek, and to pay for the services we want to pay for. Um, like you were mentioning with um, healthcare, um, you know, Janet doesn't need prostate stuff covered. I don't need um you know OB stuff covered. And that's one of the reasons we got out of it, typical insurance because in Washington State, we had to pay for a program that included maternity coverage. We're done having kids. Why should we pay for maternity coverage? I mean, you know, so yeah. I do think that the future is going to change a lot. And consumers, the free market is going to win. Um, there will always be some of those outliers and there will always be the hospitals in bed with the insurance companies. And some people will be drinking the Kool-Aid about them and still going to those places. But I think consumers are waking up and realizing most of the time, insurance is a rip-off and, and you're better off paying cash for most services. Janet, you have any comments on that?
2: Well, I think one of the things that is really... Um, changed in last year with um what's gone on with the pandemic even is that people are asking questions and i think that that's um a good thing about what we're experiencing because um when we're in healthcare, i think when you put somebody in a financial situation with you know they can be financially broke or devastated i think that's against our you know the whole purpose of giving service to people and helping them so you know if we are in a system that's breaking the, the patients and the consumers, we need to start fixing that from the inside out. And that comes from providers themselves. Um, I know consumers are gonna drive that, but I feel like there's a moral responsibility to some of the things that we have put people in. You know, if you broke your leg, it shouldn't it shouldn't bankrupt you.
1: Well, let me ask you a question. Do you have your employees on and it a, a a plan separate from the insurance company.
0: So we have a very unique situation in our pharmacy, Ron. In 2002, we decided that insur- health insurance was a scam and a ripoff. So we stopped billing insurance through our pharmacy. And because we realized that all insurance companies do is they decrease service, they decrease um, quality and they increase price. That's all it did. So we decided to get out of that racket, and we didn't. We no longer build insurance, and it uh, allowed us to offer the best possible price at the best possible. Um, service and um by getting that third party out of the way so i'm not a big believer in in employer sponsored insurance period even the tpas that do it kind of directly i don't like that at all i think when somebody receives something for free i think then they overutilize. they need to see value in what they what they um and, and, and pay for it themselves. That way they will shop around on price. And that way they don't have to listen to me. They get to go to where they want to go to. Why would any employee want to let their employer tell them where to get healthcare? They, they, does their employer tell them where to get food? Does their employer tell them where to, where to buy a car? I think it's ridiculous. And that's why I would never do it directly because it goes against our model that we pay for, that we tell patients that we don't bill insurance because... Um, it uh, it makes things more expensive. I believe we would be being hypocrites if we paid for healthcare for our employees. And I think that's one of the fixes in my book is that um, employees go to their go to their insurance go to their employer and say, "Look." I don't want this fifteen hundred dollar a month healthcare you're giving me. It's a ripoff. So I want to. I want you to give me money in an HSA. I want you to. I want you to do something. Oh, just pay me more money, and I can do whatever I want with the money. Um, and I think people are going to catch on to that. And if enough people, like you were just saying, enough healthy people do that. And 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 it's only you know sick people getting getting insurance to the employer. The employer just can't pay for it anymore. And I think that's a good thing. If you look back at the history of employer-sponsored insurance, it was caused by the government in the 1940s. Our wonderful president um, Roosevelt had an executive order that made it. ill. He put a price a price freeze on wages, and when he did that, the only way that employers could offer. To, could get new employees was well, they couldn't pay them more, so they offered benefits. And one of them was a hospital benefit. And now look at what this came to. Now employees, because of their employer-sponsored insurance, they expect their tubs, to, their their stub toenail to get paid for, their diaper rash to pay for. They don't want to pay for anything. But in reality, they're paying a ton of money for everything.
2: Well, and, and to say what we do for our client or for our staff is that we work with direct primary care providers. Um, so we encourage the, the wellness model versus the sick model. And some of our employees um, have chosen to go that route. Um, and then we also give them information on the the health sharing programs that are available. And um, so I know a couple, at least one um, or two, uh, um, in the top of my mind, I think of um Recently, that's what they've d- done. And I think when you um, give them a good path, I think like Sean is saying that, you know, better decisions are made because um, primary care doctors that are in a direct care model usually do have a affordable route for them to take uh, for better health choices and not being in the sick model. Mm-hmm.
1: Can I ask you all a couple questions?
0: Please, please do.
1: It's a little bit subject change, but you guys are independent pharmacy. It seems to me that all the forces of the bigs are put to bear on you to sell your pharmacy for a song and a dance by restricting the type of drugs you can carry and cover, by um, not allowing you into these various market exchanges that allow you to buy the drugs so you can offer them to your patients at a fair price. How are you guys surviving? I I mean, I appreciate your strategy since 2002, but how are you surviving with all of this pressure brought to bear on your pharmacy?
0: Well, I mean, for one thing, I think in order to survive, you have to do something unique. And we've done that through compounding. We're pretty much a compounding only pharmacy. And that means we mix up most of our medications and we focus a lot on hormone replacement. 85% of our, of our, um, Compounds are hormone replacement. We focus on a health and wellness model, Um, so we do a lot of things to keep people healthy, including hormone replacement. And um, if you want to be controlled as a pharmacy, that's when you start billing insurance. Because if you are controlled as a farm, if you start billing insurance, you will be controlled as a pharmacy. You can still have, in my opinion, you can still have a very successful pharmacy. And if we didn't have a niche that we did in compounding. one of the things that we could do is I think we could, there's a, there's a niche for a pharmacy to sell um, generic drugs very inexpensively. Um, you know, when you look at a lot of the prices in, in a, in a Rite Aid or something like that, we'll get calls and patients will tell us that, you know, they're being charged $70 for a medication that we would charge $15 for. Why? Usually because those companies, kind of like we've been talking about, they're not transparent in pricing. All they know about is building an insurance company. So then they rip off the consumer that doesn't have insurance. And so there's still a model for that. I think that the more you can be independent and away from the insurance companies, that's how you don't be that's how you don't be controlled. And I think the biggest thing is, and this is what we promote at our pharmacy, and it's the number one solution in my book. The first solution is Patients have to be proactive in, in their own health, period. That's one of the reasons we have this podcast, to educate and empower consumers that they are in charge of their own health. And that includes their own healthcare finances. So first of all, the best health insurance we have, chapter six in my book, Quoted, the best health insurance we have is not some kind of policy that we can buy. It is how we take care of ourselves. So first and foremost, you have to take care of yourself. That's the best health insurance you have. And we promote that with our staff and we promote that with our patients. Um, and I think we live it ourselves. So great questions, Ron. Thank you.
1: How are you surviving the PBMs that are trying to get in the middle and dictate how people should buy their products? I guess you've done it by opting out by stepping away from them.
0: Right. We're just not involved with them. We, 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 we are totally PBMs have nothing to do with us. And I hear about some of the pharmacies, the stuff they deal with, with PBMs. And I follow one, of, uh, a friend of mine on Facebook. He's in, he has, owns a Florida a pharmacy in Florida. And I mean, they are ridiculous. I mean, they, they pay him nothing like a dollar over his drug cost. Um, so obviously he's losing money and, um, you know the only way, and 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 Jan and I have been there. We were there for many years in our pharmacy. That you know we had these trade groups that would try to lobby, you know, lobby Congress and lobby the states and all this for better reimbursement. It ain't going to happen. The only way to change the yep. system is to get out of the system. Period. That's why you've seen a move. Yep. Roof- Right, that's what that's why you've seen a movement to direct primary care. As you know, Ron, those doctors realize they're not going to change the system inside. It, it's a it's a cartel inside. It's a ripoff. It's a scam. The hospitals and the big corporations are in collusion with insurance companies and big pharma. The only way to get out, or the only way to fix it, is to get out and do your own thing and be independent. Period. And that's how the patient is going to get the best care. We we thought that, and the DPC doctors think that.
1: Well, my favorite quote I had from our guests in the last two years since we started this show was Keith Smith, who you referred to earlier. And he says, Don't expect the driver to, to get the driver of the getaway car to solve the heist. <laughs> and
2: um, <laughs> That's you know, so true. He, he's
1: got like a thousand like that. The guy's great. He, I love he him. I, the free market. Uh,
2: yeah. Well, you know, yeah. one of the reasons that, that we um, took a different direction is, um, I had a client that served her for many, many years. And, um, one day she called us and she was 50 years old and she was dying. And the reason she was dying is because, uh, for she was morbidly obese, but she was taking, you know, 20 different drugs. And, you know, it occurred to me during our conversation that perhaps I didn't help this individual very much by continuously giving her drugs that maybe put her in the grave faster than needed to be. I mean, there there are other things that we can do for people be- besides giving them sacks full of medication. Um, you know, for one, no one really in my mind was really helping her handle her major problem. And, you know, one of the things I think as providers that we forget to do is, you know, what's the best answer for that client? You know, her beds of insulin maybe kept her alive for a short period of time, but I mean, it, it ultimately put her in the grave. And so, you know, we started talking about the sick model of how we are keeping people in the spiral and we're not really helping them um, ethically and morally. I know that, you know, cardiac diseases and, you know, diabetes and, and stroke are, are up there in our, in our country. And that's, that's what's killing our, our population. And if we don't do a, a wellness model for them and work with them, then I don't feel like we are really helping them. We're assisting them.
1: Yeah, we had a guest on who is the head of the MRSA Survivors Network, and God bless this woman. She got MRSA herself from her hospital in Chicago, a great-name hospital, well-known. And she um, she gave us the numbers. It's like there, are, it's the third leading cause of death in America is um, hospital-acquired infections. So one of the smartest things you can do as a consumer is just not need the hospital in the first That's place daily. By
2: get out, losing yep. weight,
1: by walking in the daytime. Yeah, get some vitamin D, get some sunshine. It, I walk four hours uh, for an hour this morning, and I do it every day. So I'm 61. I'm off all my meds now. It's it's the only way to really stay out of the hospital is to not need it in the first place by taking care and charge of your own health. And you don't need a doctor to do that. It's free. There's no doctor. There's no copay.
2: Exactly.
0: That's correct. I'm being proactive in your own health and hospitals are one of the most dangerous places to be. I don't know the stat off the top of my head, but if you look at, you know, a percentage of patients that die in hospitals, it's huge. Now you could argue that's because sick people go to the hospital. Well, that's kind of my point. But when you look at nosocomial infections in a hospital, um, yeah, it's, it, it is a big deal. Stay away from hospitals if you can. And that's why for most acute things, um, I, I, I recommend DPC doctors because most DPC doctors can do a lot of things that would keep you out of the hospital, i.e., you know stitches and broken arms and you know as long as it's not you know compound fracture or something it needs to be um, you know set or surgery. And I recommend that stay out of the hospital. It's one of the most dangerous places, and of course the most expensive yeah. places. And you never know what the bill is going to be. You, you find out six months later sometimes. It's kind of a joke. It is. It's it's very sad. You know, I'm I'm being cynical, but I just I don't have a lot of good things to say about hospitals. Um. So yeah, let's let's go on. So, um, you say that Medicare and Medicaid is going to be broken four years.
1: Well, yeah, it's just math. The math is actually it's broke now because we're using Social Security to fund the deficit. So technically, we have voiced it all we can on the future generations and the, the piper has to be paid now so what are we going to do We'll deficit spend more and voice more on the future generations of our debt so there there is no easy answer they can extend our age another year or two or three and say you can't get the product for then, or you maybe they can raise the rate of your uh, income qualification so you can't get the medicaid this government this federal government looks like it's going the opposite direction they want to um, lower the qualifications to get into Medicaid. They want to make Medicaid for all. And all you have to do is look at Veterans Administration for what that health care looks like when you have federal mandated, federal paid for health care. Um, the weights are ridiculous. The doctors can't aren't getting paid properly. Um, one of my doctor friends had to make a cardiac referral and somebody had, they had pain in their heart, in their chest, angina. And they couldn't go see a cardiologist for six months until they verified that they actually needed a cardiologist. Well, you know, what's that pain all about? So, this is what's coming at us. We're going to have longer waits. You know, we keep talking about Canada as some kind of miracle healthcare. They hate their healthcare there. I mean, it's not working. But the lines are long. If you're wealthy, you are okay, but the rest, ninety percent of the people don't have good healthcare, and and uh, it's it's what we're going to have: longer waits, worse care. Fewer doctors are doing well. There's, there's no. It's a no-win situation for all the players that are involved.
0: Well, again, referencing Dr. Keith Smith, he has talked to that he has many patients that come down from Canada and pay cash for surgeries at his surgery center because they've got to wait years for certain surgeries. So they come down to America, and yeah, if you want to see what his
1: prices are? Go to his website. He'll, he'll show you the transparent pricing. of every possible surgery you could imagine, except for birth. It's just, uh, it's all there laid out. So. And hospitals say that they can't, you know, it's going to take 20,000 20, spreadsheets to show what they're doing. No, just go to Keith, Keith Smith's website, Oklahoma Surgery Center Oklahoma, and you'll see every possible surgery you can imagine priced out, you know, all in, all in pricing, not um, it, it's, it can be more transparent. He's been doing it for 20 years, by the way. This is not a new idea
0: no it's not but it is gaining traction and and we we owe a lot to him in the free market. And speaking of the free market, you know, I'm an optimist. Um, do I think Medicare and Medicaid are broke currently? Absolutely. Um, do I think that it's the answer to the future? No. What are we th- what are we thinking if if we're broke now with those programs and how can we do Medicare for all? How are we going to afford it? Here's what I do know. I'm I'm a big believer in free market solutions and I do know that the free market will work and people will find out how to get healthcare, better quality, better service at a cheaper price. And it won't be through the government because the government caused all this problem. So Janet, do you want to comment on that?
2: Well, I, I think one of the the things that when I talk to people about insurance and healthcare is that, you know, this phenomenon about healthcare is has been very short lived throughout time. Um, prior to health insurances, doctors, physicians, care, you know, midwives, um, they dealt, and hospitals for that matter, dealt with the consumer or the patient. And so, I, you know, it's, it's not like it's been happening for centuries this way. In fact, it's only been decades. So I, I do think that, that we need to, to balance with time. And, and I feel that um, if we can get more providers out of that system and actually taking care of their patients, I think the solutions for cheaper healthcare and quality healthcare is there because, you know, um, what's accepted or or what the standard of care is is not always quality. In my mind, quality is is totally different than what what. We may be seen and what's useful. And some of the clients that have came in and talked to me and say, "Well, you know, you feel you feel more comfortable when you have a, an organization like a big clinic or a big hospital that, you know, they're going to be the experts." And and I, I, unfortunately. Think of the person with that angina and say, you know, that's probably a story I could say and probably 10 stories that with my mother who is on Medicare that, you know, all these things that her doctor wanted to have taken care of immediately, they knew, but they had to jump through all the different, well, you have to have this test and then you have to have this done and then you can have, then maybe we can give you this and then maybe we can go there. Well, it would have been less expensive if we would have treated the client and the patient upfront for what we thought they needed to be treated for instead of all these other procedures that led down the same road. And, you know, is it that we're trying to get rid of grandmother? I, I don't necessarily believe that, but all these restrictions and all these little, well, this, then this, or maybe that, then this has taken the doctor out of the picture. And I think that's just wrong.
0: Well, go ahead. Are there, any, are there any
1: employers left even in, in um, Washington to talk to anymore because of this nanny state uh, pandemic reaction, this giant knee jerk of using a blunt instrument to close businesses and shut every, select industries down? Um, are there anybody left to even buy your product anymore? Because it seems that there's these nanny state philosophies are uh, dominating right now.
0: Yeah, that is true. But also, when you look at those nanny states, they're going broke. So, and a lot of people, you know, that are productive citizens are leaving those states. So, there again, I believe in free market solutions. Um, Ron, you said upping the Medicare age is not the answer to fixing the Medicare um, solvency problem. So, what is the answer? Um, well, it, it's
1: it's complicated because, like, for the veterans. We don't want more veteran administration. The ideal solution would be to give everybody a debit card with the amount they're spending in the VA per patient and let them make a choice. As you said, pre markets going to decide it would work just as well for Medicare too. To let the Medicare patients have funds to make their own decisions, but that's not going to happen again because of these entrenched interests. So um, the game is rigged. There really is no way to fix this thing with, solutions. If I were a Medicare recipient, and I will be in a few years, um, I would just have a direct primary care relationship and I would have a sharing ministry and I would use that as my go-to to to get what I need to get done because it's, it's really the only option right now. There's not, um, a lot of people that are on Medicare that don't have a lot of medications are very happy with it because it's free. And, um, but that's a tiny portion of the Medicare population. Most folks have multiple chronic conditions. It's, um, they, they they rely on their uh, Medicare plan to get them through the day. So um, yeah, there is no there is no solution if it's not a market based solution.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think one way to to let the market work is to actually. Repeal Medicare, honestly. And I know that's a powerful, powerful statement, but I talk about that in my book. Um, the only way we're going to fix it is to repeal Medicare. And honestly, Medicare piggyback on Social Security. And Social Security is part of it. I mean, Social Security is bankrupting us also. And we just cannot continue... To have these programs where the federal government steals from the taxpayers to give to who they see as fit. That is what is bankrupting our country. And I'll get a lot of pushback with that. It's like, oh, I talked to one of my um, congressmen one time. He goes, oh, you can't repeal Medicare. And I'm like, well, we repealed um, prohibition. Why can't we repeal Medicare? So consumers can speak, it could happen. Um, You know, who would have thought that? 20 years ago, if you would have asked me that marijuana is going to probably be legal federally, I would have said, you are crazy. Look. It's going to be legal here pretty soon, or at least decriminalized federally. Even lots of states are already see it legal, but federally it's still illegal. So I'm still optimistic that we can repeal Medicare. We need to get the government out of health care, Period. That is one of the ways that we that we have to fix it. Yes, that's a that's a strong that's a very strong statement. Um, but another way is too is get the states out of Obamacare. If the states just stop letting taking federal dollars to let them. Uh, And let them decide where they're going to, how they're going to take care of the constituents, then that would even be um, a first step, but long-term step, get rid of Medicare totally.
1: So do you enjoy your job? Do you enjoy what you're doing for a living? Or would you, let me ask you another question another way. Would you advise your children? I'm assuming you'll have children to go into
0: the pharmacy business um, this is what I would tell them Jan and I love what we we do we have a passion for what we do we we, we often say we're never going to retire because we feel like we're retired now we love what we're doing we're making a good living um, I would be very careful to talk to anybody to go into pharmacy because this is what I tell them I'd say look we've created a great business model here. We love what we do. We get to educate and empower patients. We get to take care of them without any insurance interference. And we created that model. It was not easy. It was very difficult. If, um, but I also warned those students and why, you know, I'm a preceptor for pharmacy students from, from two colleges of pharmacy. I will tell them, here's the reality. You're not going to work in an environment like this. You're going to work for Walmart. You're going to work for Rite Aid in a chain store. And it sucks. Okay, you're gonna be working nine to 12 hours, no lunch, no break. You're gonna be counting pills for a living and collecting insurance co-pays, period. I wouldn't do it wrong.
1: Pharmacist, and she hated her life so much that she opted out, she's gonna do something else. I yes. mean, it was killing her. It was literally killing her. She's 27 years old. She's a young lady and she's burned out at mm-hmm. 27 from pharmacy. It's yeah. not, um, I, I don't think she expected, you know, when she got into that practice, that she was going to be counting pills all day long and not taking potty breaks.
2: No. And, and, you know, I, I, good for her because I don't know how many people have spoke to me over the years about, you know, you, we've all confronted that healthcare provider that's overwhelmed and, you know, they are at the end of their rope. And it isn't that they went into healthcare to not take care of patients, but they feel like they are against the wall and what they are doing is not bringing them any happiness or purpose. But I will say this, um, Sean and I had the conversation the first year that I graduated and was working and I said, you know, if this is what I went into I'm not going to stay here because, again, you, you know, you, you could work all day. You could be there from nine to nine and nobody cared if you got a, a lunch break or a dinner break or a potty break. And and that's wrong. That's not. And, and physicians get stuck in that same position, too. And I felt like, you know, I'm an adult and I have a lot of years ahead of me to work. And this is not how I'm gonna do it. And you know, sure it took a while to get out of that situation. So good for her that she made better choices because that ruins your health too. Your emotional, your mental, your physical. There's no reason to stay in a job that is so toxic.
0: Right. And most yeah. mo- most pharmacists, most doctors, most nurses don't like what they're doing. And I think one of the reasons why is because of the insurance model. And if you talk to uh, we've interviewed direct primary care doctors from all over the nation who, you know, they don't accept insurance obviously. And you know what? They're happy. I mean, right away you can just tell that it's just different, Um, you know, and because it's liberated and that's what Jan and I feel, you know, and I I was at the free market medical association meeting one time and I, I got to speak in front of a, a group of them. And one of the things they ask is how, how, you know, how we were able to thrive in an environment like that you know about you know without insurance and stuff it's like well first of all um it's not just about survival or thriving um to me although we've done well what's actually is is thriving to me is being liberated being liberated that I have autonomy over my own practice and, and I can deal with patients directly instead of letting a third-party insurance company tell me what is best for the patients, it's very liberating. We don't have to wait for payments anymore. You know that the, the patients pay us directly. It is very liberating. We love what we do. Unfortunately, most pharmacists don't. Very nice. So, uh, Ron, what well, drives up the good pride? You guys, y'all are doing
1: y'all are doing good with this podcast and this YouTube channel. I- important work you're doing and that I'm doing. Keep telling the truth. Yeah. Right. I mean, great guests like Virginia yeah. are going on.
0: Yeah. That's why I wanted to have you on. So Ron, what, what drives you? What, what do you have a passion for?
1: Well, I, I want to see everybody win. And I see in this the direct primary model and, and direct contracting model, the people are winning that are patients, that are doctors, people that are uh, employers are winning the, uh, uh, the, the the folks that are in the ecosystem are winning, healthcare is, uh, as a cost center is winning because it's going down, that uh, population health is increasing because people are taking charge. So what drives me is to see more people join this movement that doesn't have a name. Um, I think we should call it the Sean Data movement until we come
0: up with a better <laughs> yeah, name. <right. laughs> yeah, well, thank you for that. Maybe but, Janet. <laughs> Janet. <Yeah. laughs> thank you for that. But uh, I don't think we deserve that. I, I, you know, I, I think our people like Keith Smith who are pioneers and, you know, he started doing it in 1997, we didn't, or 98 ish, you know, we didn't really it out of the insurance model until 2002. So, um, but I do think that it's a future of healthcare. I really do. And, um, yeah. So, Ron, what's the best way to get a hold of you if somebody has questions or wants to get a hold of you?
1: I'm easy to find on LinkedIn and i um, very happy to talk to folks um, that have questions about how this is working and what's working. I've been, you opted out since 2002. I've opted out and used a company called Redirect Health out of Arizona for three years now. And all my employees would not please me if they had to. I mean, they're, Free co- there's no co- in, There's no insurance, there's no premium, no co-pay, um, no deductible. Um, they get free insurance the day they start with me. And it's a thrill because I can join a movement with my feet. I can vote with my how I, how I take care that's of my right. people. Yeah, that's and right. And I can tell you that we have zero turnover. We have no problem hiring good people because they're easy to uh, hire when you say free healthcare. And I can tell you our absenteeism and our presenteeism has dropped dramatically. So, um, I'm in the movement, I'm in the game and I'm, all my, my people are winning. I'm winning. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of this and see more people join
0: it. Good for you. Well, keep on winning Ron. And we appreciate you being on the show today. Okay.
1: Thank you very much y'all. Good luck to you.
0: All right. And, um, tune in to our midweek podcast. It'll actually be Wednesday, um, this week, uh, eight to 9 AM Pacific standard time. We will have a doctor from, um, primary care cures. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Pioneer, pioneer health, um, um, care out of out of oklahoma dr kelsey smith and um so stay tuned for that on mid our midweek podcast wednesday 8 to 9 a.m you can catch us every monday 1 to 2 p.m right here on my personal facebook page or the moses lake professional pharmacy youtube site always streaming live at those times and please subscribe to the moses lake professional pharmacies youtube site so you don't miss any of these episodes ron thank you for being with us today you've been listening and watching health solutions with sean and janet needham